Welcome to Church History. I'm your host, Lauralee Siemens. This is our summer season. I'm telling the stories of our great hymns. This podcast tells the story of the church in chronological order. We started with the story of Jesus, and we have traveled through history into the 1800s. For this summer, we're going to tell the story of the church in chronological order through our great hymns. So, enjoy this summer season. This is our first episode in our summer series where we're going through the history of church in chronological order through our hymns. And in our first episode, I'm going to replay an episode from season two. This is a replay of the episode called more Crusades. This was the last episode in a series I did on the Crusades. And if you want to hear the Crusades' full story, you can listen to the other episodes in that series. And I'm going to put a link for those episodes in the show notes. Fairest Lord Jesus is one of my favorite hymns. And to think it was sung during the Crusades makes the song even more amazing. Enjoy this episode. And at the end of the episode, you will hear the Fountain View Academy singing Fairest Lord Jesus. You can find a link to their YouTube channel in the show notes. Enjoy. So we left off the Crusades with Richard the Lionheart returning to England before he heard of some news. The news was his little brother John was trying to take over and basically destroy the kingdom. He was overtaxing the people and trying to steal the throne. There was a peasant uprising and things were going downhill fast. This is where we get the story of Robin Hood. And I'm going to pause here for my homeschool families. I started this podcast because I was looking for a way to teach my children church history. I know most of my listeners are actually fellow homeschooling families. And if that's you, this would be a great time to watch the Robin Hood movies or read the books. When you do, look at two things. One, how corrupt the church had become at this point, And two, how there were still true followers of Jesus who refused to be controlled by the church. All right, jumping back into our podcast. So Richard the Lionheart made it back to England. He had a little detour when he was kidnapped, but eventually he did make it back. But he did eventually die, and in today's podcast, his brother John is now on the throne. So back to Pope Innocent III. Like I said, he came to power young and had three goals— Unite the Greek and Latin Church, free Jerusalem, and stop the spread of Islam. The Greek and Latin Church were dividing. This had been going on for a long time. I mean, besides the language and the cultural differences, there was also some significant theological differences. And the main one was the Holy Spirit. Did God the Father send the Holy Spirit, or did Jesus send the Holy Spirit? The Latin Church said both, and the Greek Church said just the Father sent the Spirit. But let's be honest, the main problem was power. The Latin church said the Pope was the head of the whole church, and the Greek church said the bishops should all work together, and the Pope having no one over him was kind of dangerous, and not how the church should be run. This idea, they said, would lead to corruption. So the Greek church refused to listen to any laws passed by the Pope. Well then, Pope Innocent III began to preach that he was, in fact, the literal representation of Jesus Christ. And what he said was the same as if Jesus himself was saying it. Kind of proving the point that the Greek church had about corruption. So Pope Innocent decided 
If he attacked Jerusalem and freed her from the Islamic rule, the Greek church would be happy with that, and it would start the end of Islamic rule. This would fulfill his three goals, so he started calling for a crusade. And this is where we get the fourth crusade. Now exactly zero kings joined in. This shows that while the church did have influence over the kings, the church didn't have full control over the kings because Pope Innocent III could not convince a single king to join him. While kings didn't sign up, knights did. And since there was no kings, it would not be an official war. So the knights had to save up all their own money to go. Boniface was one of the main people in charge of the crusades. Once again, Innocent said that anyone who went on the crusade would be forgiven of any sin. The crusaders decided that they would attack Egypt first and then take Jerusalem, and they would go by water. So they ordered that ships be built. Now the country of Venice agreed to make the ships. Many ships were ordered because they expected a lot of crusaders to join. However, unlike the crusades we've already talked about, this crusade was not very popular. When they arrived to get the ships, they didn't have enough crusaders to pay for the ships. Venice was very angry. They had already built the ships and they wanted to get paid. There was just no way to get them the money. So Venice came up with a way to get payment. They told the crusaders, there's this country over here called Zara. We would really like to have that country. So if the crusaders went to war with them and won and gave the area to Venice, they would take that as payment. They would then be able to go to Egypt and then to Jerusalem. Problem was, Zara was a Christian country and under the protection of the Pope. Still, the leaders of the Crusades thought it was the best thing to do. Then the Pope found out and he was furious. He demanded the Crusaders not attack Zara and even said if they did, they would be excommunicated from the church. Boniface decided to not tell the Crusaders that they had all been excommunicated. Most of the Crusaders thought they were actually headed to Egypt. When they realized they were going to this place, Zara, they were angry, and a large number abandoned the Crusades and actually went to Zara to warn them. Some historians say up to half of them have left. The leftover Crusaders did attack Zara, and Zara was going to surrender, but when so many Crusaders abandoned ship, they thought maybe they could win. But they didn't. And after they won, the Crusaders went through Zara, taking anything that they wanted. Totally plundered Zara. With the payments made now to Venice, they were ready to go to Egypt. But then this guy named Alexis showed up. He said his father was supposed to be on the throne in Constantinople, but his uncle had put his father in prison and Alexis had escaped. He asked Venice to go to war with Constantinople and put him on the throne. If they did, he would give them a lot of money. Venice agreed, but thought it would be really great if he could use those nice new ships and also maybe the Crusaders. Now, the Pope was beyond angry about Zara. There was no way he was going to be okay with attacking Constantinople. That's the capital of the Greek church. Not only was it Christian country, it was the heart of Christianity in the Middle East. The Muslims have been trying to take it since Mohammed had been alive, and the first two Crusades had been to help Constantinople when they called for help. No, there was zero chance of this. Unless, hmm, there was one thing Pope Innocent wanted. He would agree to allow the Crusaders to go if Alexis promised that once he was on the throne, he would make the Pope the head of the Greek church. It would be perfect. Attack Constantinople. Unite the Greek and Latin church, then off to Egypt, then Jerusalem. Alexis agreed and they were off on a crusade 
to attack the main Christian country and the only one really standing against Islamic rule. Not exactly what the Crusaders had signed up for, so even more abandoned the trip. So the Venice army, with the Crusaders along for a ride, made their way to Constantinople. After a few skirmishes, the emperor abandoned the throne and ran, leaving Alexis to free his father from prison, and the two decided to join together and rule together. They paid the Venice military and forced the Greek church to follow the orders of the Latin church. Constantinople didn't have much money, and paying the Venice military cleared all their gold and silver, and the Greek church had no plans on listening to the Latin church. As the Latin crusaders settled into the area living and trying to find work, they were hated. And the people blamed them for the country being basically bankrupt, and they hated the changes being made in the churches. One man named Mortsophis, something like that, started an uprising against the crusaders. Actually, his real name was Alexius, but there's just so many that he got his name because he had a giant unibrow. You know what? Let's just call him Mo to make my life a little easier. So Mo got everyone together who was angry with these new people for taking over the culture and the language and bankrupting the great land of Constantinople. He took over as emperor and kicked all the crusaders out of Constantinople. This creates a war, and the crusaders win the war. When they win, they're given three days to plunder the city. The new emperor said he had no money left for the trip to Egypt. And so if they're going to go to Egypt, they had to plunder the city. Imagine you're a young Greek Christian child in Constantinople. You're standing in your home. Your mother is frantically grabbing the goods in your home and hiding them. Your father suddenly enters the room. He's wearing a knight's outfit. I have this from your brother. Quickly, tie up the older boys and the men, and I will stay at the door. You watch as your mom and the older women tie up the men in the home and tell you to stay hidden under the nearby table. You run and duck under the table and push chairs in front of you. Suddenly, three crusaders push their way into your home. You want to scream, but you're silent. Your father yells, hey, I already have this home, find your own. The crusaders leave. You realize what has happened. Your father has set a scene to look as if your home has already been sacked. This scene repeats itself and your father starts to look worried. I don't know how long this will last. We need to get out of the city. Keep the women in the middle. Men, you need to look like prisoners. I'm going to occasionally hit you as we march through town. Look as if I've hit you hard. You're marching into the, you're pushed into the center of the group with the women and you start out down the street. You're not prepared for what you see. The whole city is being sacked. Men are running house to house, taking whatever they want. Artwork is burning in the streets. People are screaming. Your mom tells you to look at your father's back. You're rushed as quickly as possible. Suddenly, a man pushes into your group and grabs the arm of the girl next to you. Before your father can stop him, he pulls her into a house. Your father runs to the door and tries to enter, but it's sealed shut. The girl's father is frantically screaming at your father to please not leave her. You realize the crusaders around you have figured out your father is not actually one of them. Your father turns to the crusaders and begs, Please, that man took a young girl into his house. You know what he's going to do. It goes against the very creed you have as a crusader. Please help us. The men agree and all together break down the door and the girl rushes to her father. Your group leaves and this time you make it out the city gates. You will never return to your home. This is the true story of how one Greek Christian saved the lives of his family and friends. Their family, along with many others, traveled as refugees to Nicaea. They would practice Greek Christianity 
and continued to refuse to obey the Pope. The city was destroyed, the city that had been the most beautiful city in the world, the largest churches and the most beautiful buildings. The artwork was burned, the gold-silver statues were melted down, prostitutes danced on the altars of the church. The Greek Christians said the Muslims would not have been so cruel if they had conquered us. At the end of the three days, the beautiful city of Constantinople is trashed, artwork destroyed, books are burned and torn to pieces, and statues are either broken or melted down, and the city will never be the same. After all of this ends, Boniface dies and the Crusaders head home. They never make it to Egypt or Jerusalem. They never attack an Islamic state, and they end any hope of Greek or Latin church ever reconciling. Still today, the Greek and Latin church hate each other. Even worse, Constantinople was left weak and broken. Literally, the walls were broke down. They had no money, and their spirit was crushed. This left the door open wide for Islamic rule, and Constantinople would become Istanbul when the Ottoman Empire would come. We will mention that in a later episode. But most historians believe the only reason Constantinople fell was because of the weakened state it was left in after the Fourth Crusade. Back home, Pope Innocent was not done preaching crusades, and one group became very angry at the utter failure of the Fourth Crusade, a group of children. They decide that the adults were not getting the job done, so they should go by themselves. And thus we have the Children's Crusade. And it's as horrific as it sounds. We have to understand what life was like for children at this point. Children by the age of seven were expected to work, either on the farm or as pages for the knights. Young boys would go to crusades along with the knights as their pages, not at seven, but at a very young age. People had different expectations of children. During this time in history, the hymn, Fairest Lord Jesus, was written. Children would sing this song, and the children were very excited to hear the message, calling for crusades, and news of the war on Christians upset them. They didn't understand why the adults couldn't just go to Jerusalem and free the Holy Land. A 14-year-old boy named Nicholas decided to go himself to the Holy Land. Nicholas was from Germany, and in the year 1212, he convinced 20,000 German children, and some historians also say elderly and disabled people, to march to Jerusalem. He said, God promised when they got to the Mediterranean Sea, God would part the waters and they would walk through on dry land. On the march, they would sing the song, Fairest Lord Jesus. The march was extremely difficult, and by the time they reached the Mediterranean Sea, two-thirds of the children had died. Nicholas was granted a chance to visit with Pope Innocent III, who told him he should just go home. He was not old enough to lead a crusade, and he was ill-prepared. Nicholas refused, and the group marched to the Mediterranean Sea. They were all disappointed when God didn't part the waters for them to march on. The people in the town took pity on the crowd and offered them citizenship to their town. People opened up their homes for the children. Some accepted and moved into the town. For the rest, Nicholas said they would travel over the Alps and find their way to the Promised Land. But they died on the mountains. Nicholas's father was blamed for the actions of his son, and a mob killed him. At the same time in France, a shepherd boy named Stephen also had a dream that God would send him to Jerusalem to free the land. He also believed that God would part the sea and they would walk through on dry land. When Stephen set out, he had about 30,000 children travel with him. Once again, the sea didn't part and the children were devastated. 
This time, two men offered to take the group across the water on their six boats. The children happily agreed and got into the boats. Now, for children listening to this podcast, a friendly reminder. Do not get into the cars, boats, or really any vehicle with strangers. A storm hit and the two boats sank with the children on those boats died. The other boats eventually met up with slave trading boats and the children realized they had been tricked. They were sold to Muslim slave traders who took them to the slave market and sold them. One child, after being a slave for many years, escaped and found his way back to the town where the two men had offered them a safe passage. He told his story and the town wanted those men killed. However, it was too late. They had already died of sickness. These two horror stories are known in history as the Children's Crusade. The Pope was devastated with the news of the Children's Crusade and the disaster that was the Fourth Crusade. Still, he had his three goals, unite Greek and Latin church, take Jerusalem back, and stop the spread of Islam. He called for another crusade, and this would be the Fifth Crusade, but this time he would need kings. The king of Hungary decided to help out, and so does John of England. Remember John from the beginning of our podcast? While Pope Innocent is calling people to crusade, he personally hands out cloth crosses for the men to sew onto their shirts. One night, a storm hits, and Pope Innocent stands out in the rain and keeps handing out the crosses until every soldier who has signed up has one. This makes him catch a cold, and he ends up dying. His body is taken to the church and left so he can have a public viewing. But the next morning when they return to open the church for the viewing, they're hit with a smell. His body is already starting to decay, and thieves have broken in and stolen all his clothes. So in the end, Pope Innocent left the Greek and Latin church with a split that was never repaired. Jerusalem was still in the hands of Muslims, and Islam were in a better position to take Constantinople. And he was dead, naked, and rotting in the church. Not really a good legacy. So we're going to zoom through the rest of the Crusades here real quick. If you want a more detailed look at them, I recommend a podcast called History of the Crusades. And I'm going to put a link to that in the description. So the Fifth Crusade. After the Pope died, the King of Hungary and Cyprus attacked Egypt. If you remember from the Third Crusade, Saladin was the Muslim that attacked Jerusalem. His brother was the leader of Egypt. The King of Hungary captured Damascus and Saladin's brother offered a deal for a treaty. In the treaty, the Crusades would get control of Jerusalem. It sounds perfect, but the Crusaders declined, partly because they thought they were going to win and partly because they believed Prester John was coming to fight with them. The problem was, Prester John was a legend, and he never existed. The Crusaders believed he was this great and wealthy Christian nation, somewhere out in Africa, and then he was going to come and save them and share his wealth. It's too bad they didn't take the deal, because the Nile River flooded and Saladin got back up. So when the Muslims attacked the Crusader camp, they beat them easily. So the Fifth Crusade was over, and Jerusalem was still not free. Then along came Frederick II. He made a deal and without any war at all, takes control of Jerusalem from the Muslims. Jerusalem is then controlled by the French. This was the Sixth Crusade and is known in history as the Second Kingdom of Jerusalem. At this point, the capital is Accra, and some historians call it the Kingdom of Accra. Then in the year 1220, the Muslim Caliphate captures Jerusalem again, destroys the wall, and the city is basically left in ruins for almost a hundred years. We're going to return to Jerusalem in future episodes. 
There's a few more crusades, but they're all pointless and they're not very popular. And by this time, the idea of crusading was not something people were really excited about. One last story comes from the time of the crusades is a man named Francis. He's a monk who lives as a beggar. He starts his own version of Christianity that teaches we must give up all of our worldly possessions and live as paupers. Francis has the idea that if he had a chance to talk to the Muslims, they would convert to Christianity and there'd be no need for a war. At one point, Francis is given the opportunity to speak to the Muslim caliphate. They all sit down and listen as he explains Christianity. No one converts to Christianity and the war continues. Francis is famous for saying, preach the gospel everywhere you go, and if necessary, use words. I've personally heard this quote preached from many different pulpits, but let's think about that for one minute. During Francis' time, he preached we should be giving up all of our things to the poor and caring for him. The Bible was really not preached at all at this time. In fact, biblical biblical literacy was basically zero. So how did this experiment work out? Well. We call it the Dark Ages for a reason. We're going to end this week's podcast with a song. During the Children's Crusade, the song Ferris Lord Jesus was sung as the kings marched. We're going to end with the Fountain View Academy singing Ferris Lord Jesus. They do an amazing job. You have to check out their YouTube channel in the comments. If you want to support them, I highly recommend getting their DVD. Enjoy listening to Ferris Lord Jesus. Oh uh-huh.